This morning, I want to talk about finding faith, right? How do we help our children find faith in God? What do we need to be doing as parents to introduce our children to the triune God, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit? Now, whether you have children or, or not this morning, or if your children are already grown adults, I think that we could all agree with the statement that children might not be 100% of the population, but they are definitely 100% of the future, aren't they? They are the future. Even in a church community like ours, we've got to have a concern for our children's ministry and for younger families bringing children into church because they are the future. And if we want this church to have legs, and, and, and I want this church, I, when I'm gone, I want this church to be like strong and healthy and making an impact in this, in, this, in this world. I'm not just doing this for a few years and then I'm out of here. Cheers. Leave it to somebody else. Chi can take it over or, you know, Andrew Doak or somebody. I don't know how God might move, Andrew. You never know. But, uh, um, you know, the children coming through, they are, they are the future. And so um, I think we can agree with the, the statement that they may not make up most of the population, but they're definitely the future. In fact, it was interesting. I went to Google uh, this last week to find out what the world's population is now. Did you know last year we passed the 8 billion mark? There are over 8 billion human beings living on the planet. And according to worldometer.info, Around half of the world population is under the age of 25. Half of the global population is under the age of 25. 26% are under the age of 15. A quarter of the global population are under the age of 15. So there's a lot of young people out there. But here's, here's, here's the troubling news, I think, around some of those stats for us this morning. I, I tried to find some research for Australia, but I, I couldn't find any good church research on this. And so uh, you have to um, forgive me, but I went to the U.S. They really produce a lot of stuff, don't they? A lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff comes out of the United States. But there's a lot of research organizations that um, in, in, in church world, church life, who, who do studies and things. And so I, I went to go and see what I could find. And the research that has come out of the United States in the last few years has shown that young adults who have grown up in churches for the most part as children, and they're now young adults, are abandoning the church. They're walking away from faith in their droves. This is from the Barna Group. Um, the Barna Group, um, from their studies, found that one out of ten lose faith in Christianity. Ten percent of, of young people, young adults, lose, lose faith in Christianity. Four out of ten, 40% leave the church but still call themselves Christian. And I think that's true. You know, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christian, but they, are, they, they don't have anything to do with the church. They're disconnected from the church. They're not in the church. They don't, I don't think they quite understand that they need to be part of the body of Christ. But they're out there and you know, they consider themselves Christians, but they're not in, in the church. It's very interesting. 40%. Two out of ten or 20% um, of, of young people in the States disconnect from church and express frustration about church culture and its disconnects with society. Now, I can understand because I think some of the cultures of some of these churches is very, very unhealthy. I understand that. But the other, on the flip side of that is also, um, you know, sometimes the culture of the church needs to be different to the culture of the world. And I think there are a lot of folk who are kind of influenced by the culture of the world. So, you know, 20% though, big number of young people disconnecting from the church. And from the Barna Group's research, 3 out of 10, only 30% stay involved in the church. Uh, uh, to me, that's like, 
it's worth noting those numbers. A LifeWay research study, um, we use uh, LifeWay um, resources in our children's ministry. LifeWay, um, from one of their studies, found that the top five reasons for why youth leave the church, okay, this is America, so they move to college. I don't get that. If you're going off to study why you disconnect, you should find a new church community. But the top reason for young people leaving the church was that they go to college. The second one's interesting, though. Um, the second reason for young people leaving the church was that they deem the people in the church, the church members, to be judgmental or hypocritical. That's, that's, that's quite an interesting one. They're looking at the church and going, these people are just judgmental, hypocritical people. The third reason is that they don't feel connected to the people in the church. So there's no real established connection. I don't feel like I'm part of this community. Uh, the fourth one was that they disagree with the church's stance on, on political and or social issues. Uh, interesting. Because the church does have to take a stand on certain things, and, and sometimes that is not the way the world does things. And so some folk are just disconnecting. And then the fifth reason LifeWay in their research found was that young people, they work. And so those work responsibilities prevent them from attending church. Now, as I said, this information that I've pulled out here from the Barna Group and from LifeWay, um, it, it comes out of the U.S. I, I couldn't find anything really concrete for Australia. But I don't think that Australia is going to be that different. In fact, I, I, I think... I actually think, this is just my personal view, that it might be worse here. There are many churches in Australia that are actually in decline. Many churches that are filled just with gray-haired people, older folk. And, 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 that, and that's a bit of a concern. And I don't know about you, but you know, it's, it, might, it, seem, it might seem like bad news. And it makes me wonder why. Why? Why would children and teenagers in churches right now why would they, in a few years from now, when they are young adults, walk away from their Christian faith? Why would they walk away from God? I've, I've given a little bit of thought to this around some of these reasons that I read. And, and you know, I'm convinced that many of the reasons why young adults are leaving the church are just surface reasons, to be, to be honest with you. I was, I was looking at some of those things and reading a bunch of other ones, and I just thought, really and truly, it's, it's, it's trivial. These are surface reasons. I think the underlying reality is that many of these young adults that this research comes from and from what's happening around the globe, in, especially in the Western world, I think the reality for why so many young people are leaving the church is because they have never had a significant relationship with God. Honestly, the, and, and I see this, and you know, I even stand guilty of it this morning. You know, it's so easy for us to teach our children a Christian belief system. But we don't focus on that personal relationship. And it's the personal relationship that is so, so important. Because if someone truly encounters God and opens up their life to Him and, 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 and is filled with the Holy Spirit and knows the love of God and is in communion with God... I just don't think that that's something that's going to change very easily. And the hound of heaven will go after you if you decide to depart from the way. God is going to give you as many chances as possible. And so something will happen in people's lives where they'll, they'll know that I can go to God. I can go to God. And so I just think that there's a lack of that personal relationship here. Um, and, and, and I guess this is where things are going to get a little sticky for those of us this morning who who are parents. 
Because I, I think a big reason that, that young adults leave the church is, is because of the way we parent them. I think, I think for many of us, the way we um, parent our children misrepresents God to them. Way too often, what we do is we present God as, um, you know, as, as, as this moral God, right? It's a very moralistic way of looking at God. And so we present a God that relates to us based on our behavior rather than a God who is concerned with our heart motives. I think as parents, it's very easy for us to teach our children, don't say that. You know, we teach them how to speak. We teach them how to act. Um, we teach them to behave in a certain way. We walk in the mall and we go, look at those people. You can't be like those people. Those people are going to hell. This is what we do because we're Christians. You know, that's, and so we've got this kind of moral deal that we teach our children when it comes to raising our children. And it's not a bad thing. Those are good things. It's good to instruct your children in those ways. But, but I think a big part of the problem in the Christian church today is that there is no follow-through. There's no follow-through going on in the home. And what I mean by that, when it comes to the follow-through in the home, there's no prayer going on in the home. You're not praying together as a family with your children and teaching your children and instructing them in prayer. How many Christian families these days sit down at a meal and don't even say grace? We just dive in. And so, so there's no follow-through in the home. There's no follow-through when it comes to meaningful discussions about God and about faith, really getting into it, you know, really giving good explanations to our children for why we believe what we believe. How many times in the home we just go, well, that's what we believe. And we're not telling our children or asking them the question, why do we believe that? So that they have a better understanding of their faith. And so there's, there's no real follow-through. There's no discussion about the importance of baptism. Why are, why are so many of our young children just going and not actually going through the waters of baptism? Are we talking to our children about baptism and the importance of going through the waters of baptism and what that means? See what I mean? There's no follow-through. There's no follow-through when it comes to the Holy Spirit in their lives and, their, and, and, and living a life that's led by the Spirit. And so for many young people, they kind of get up to this young adult age and for them, Christianity is something you know, that they've heard about, but they haven't really seen it actually lived out in their home. And so it's no wonder that when, when we see young people grow up, they kind of, you know, there's so many other things happening in the world around them that they choose for themselves. And, and a lot of them land up walking away. Been there, done that, right? I've, I've, I've seen the Christianity thing. I don't really want anything to do with it. I'm going to live my life. And, and it's interesting to me that, that um, there's still so many who are still looking for some kind of fulfillment, still on some kind of search in their life. They're looking for some kind of spirituality. And, and then, of course, we've got this other big problem, the enemy, don't we? We, we have a, an enemy, and the enemy's name is Satan, and he is very, very real. Demonic powers do not want Christianity advancing. And, 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 and Satan is very strategic in how he works. He knows the scripture. The demonic powers know the word of God. Right? They know that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan knows that he's not going to prevail against the church. And that's really good news for us as a church community this morning. But there's no such promise regarding the home. And so Satan has been strategically working 
to get God and Christ-like living out, out of the home. He's been working to get that out of the home. And the result is children walking away from faith in God. And that's bad news. But the good news this morning, the good news is that we serve a great God, don't we? We serve a great, an almighty, powerful God. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God of second chances. We serve the God who's able to take good and make it better. A God who's able to take bad and make it good. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so if you're a parent here this morning and things have not gone well in your own raising of children and your children might have departed from the faith, I don't want you to come under condemnation this morning. I really and truly don't. I just want you to be thankful that God can turn it, turn it around, that God can change things. But get back to what you need to be doing. Get back to what you need to be doing. Even if your children are young adults, engage with them spiritually. Have conversations. Ask them questions. What do they think it means when it comes to being a follower of Jesus? What do they think it means to walk with God? What do they think about the church? Engage with them. You know, and even though Satan is up to his dirty tricks, the great thing about God is he's not up in heaven going, oh no, what am I going to do? God's not doing that, right? God has an answer. God always will have an answer. He always has had an answer. And let's see what his answer is. And we're going to go back to a portion of scripture we looked at a few weeks ago from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through to 9. We, we, we read this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of who you are. Love him. And the instruction here is that these commandments are to be upon your hearts. They're to be impressed into the lives of your children. You need to talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here's the deal, everybody. If you're a parent here this morning, as parents, we have been charged by God. That's, we've, got, we've been charged by God. We have a responsibility before God to disciple our children in the way of Jesus. As parents, we have that responsibility. As a parent, you have the most influence with your children. You, you have the most influence with your children. I mean, parents shape the value system of their ch children. Parents reproduce their own convictions in their children because children just catch it. You don't even need to teach them. They just catch it, right? You reproduce yourself. Your lifestyle, your, your thoughts, your attitudes will materialize in the lives of your children. Children actually mirror their parents. I mean, everything that I've ever read puts a mom and a dad at the top of the list as the most influential people in, in, in a child's life. How many of you know how many hours there are in a year? Don't Google it. 8,760, roughly. 8,760 hours in a year. I just want to put this little slide up here because I just thought I'm going to, I want to really highlight the importance of a parent here, okay? I reckon the average teenager probably gets around seven hours of sleep a night. It's just rough numbers, but I reckon, you know, 
that's if they're not texting their friends under the duvet you know, or scrolling through social media, right? But seven hours represents 29% of their time. So almost a third of the, a child's time in a year is spent sleeping. Maybe some kids sleep longer, so it might even be more. 16%, as far as I can tell, I went and I looked at the WA calendars and the number of school hours and things, and, and, and it, it roughly equates to 16% of their time in a year is spent at school. It's, it, it, 16% is spent getting an education. And then I just lumped everything except the church into you know, all the discretionary time, the time that they're at home, p- playing sport, doing hobbies, you know, going to the mall, playing video games, all that stuff. I've just, I just lumped that in as discretionary time. And that amounts to 54% of their time. Renew as a church, we do an hour and a half service every Sunday of the year. And if your child had to be in church every single Sunday, that would amount to... 1% of their time. And we all know that some families are not here every week, so it's highly likely that it's less. But it's 1% of your time. So for all the wonderful people that we have, like Jacqueline and Cherylee and Charlene and Alan and Mandy and all those folk who serve so joyfully and wonderfully in our children's ministry, they put their time, their energy, their creativity into the lives of those children who come in on a Sunday, they're only actually having input into 1% of your children's time. Looking at the regularity of attendance, it's, it's actually less. Do you get where I'm going here? It's really simple. It's really, really simple. Parents are the ones who are positioned, they're uniquely positioned for long-term influence in the lives of their children. And that's the way God's designed it. You know, you know when, if a child starts kindy, who's there? The parents, right? When your child starts school, who's there? With the, the parents. When your child gets to high school, who's pretty much trying to be there? The parents. If, if your child goes off to uni or, or TAFE, you know, who's backing them? It's the parents. You know, if, if your child goes to do an apprenticeship or starts work or somewhere, the, you're, you're there. You're supporting them. You're encouraging them. You know, if they graduate, who's there? Who's celebrating? Woo! You know, it's the parents. When they get married... Who's walking them down the aisle? You know, who's, who's giving them away? Who's paying for the honeymoon? It's the parents. <laughs> and, and, when, and when your children have their own children, who's there? Who's there? Like, woo, I've got a grandchild. You know, it's the parents. Parents have the highest vested interest in the success and health and spiritual vitality of their children. And Debbie and I, our, our boys are young men now. And I won't embarrass my, my youngest son here. I love him with all of my heart. And I love my eldest son with all of my heart. And Debbie and I desperately wanted our boys to grow up to love Jesus. Desperately. We pray for that still regularly. We pray that they would have a love for God. That they would have a hunger for God. We pray that they would grow in their character, that their character would become Christ-like. We pray that they would spend time with God, that they would know that He is there for them. That's been the way we've raised our children. And, and so here's the difficult part if you're a parent here today. You and I 
need to take responsibility for the spiritual development of our children. We have to stand back and go, I'm responsible for what's going in the spiritual life, what's going on in their life, what's being impressed into that life. The church is, the church is great. The church is a valuable partner when it comes to you know, trying to raise up young Christ followers and, 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 um, and, and, and educate them in the things of, of God and, and, and Scripture. But it's the parents who will be primarily accountable for the spiritual maturity of their children. If we, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a second, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's just go back to that slide, Jude. Those first, uh, three, uh, first few words where it says, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, that um, is, is a statement or a phrase which the Jewish people would call, they called it the Shema, they still call it the Shema. It was something that they would recite at least four times a day, maybe six times or eight times a day. And they would recite this as a family, right? They would say as a family, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jewish families would recite that together. And, 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 those, and, and Jewish families for centuries have had a very literal interpretation of this text. Impress it on, into the lives of your children. Man, this is something that's got to, get, it's got to become a permanent part of their hearts. You've got to say this when you're sitting down at home, when you're driving in your car or walking along a road, when you lie down, when you get up. Many biblical scholars believe that Jewish people would actually, when they walked out of their house, they would say those words, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When they came back to the house, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all of your strength. And the scripture talks here about symbols on, on your hands and on your foreheads, writing them on the door frames of your homes and, and on your gates. And, and here's the idea, folk. Here's the big idea. The big idea is that families needed to be surrounded by reminders that they're part of a bigger story, that they're part of a better story, that they're part of God's redemptive, historic story. Children needed to see these reminders about those things. And when you say these words, when they say these words, it was like that was the way we recalibrate, you know, several times a day, you know, because we wander off and we start doing the wrong thing or saying or thinking or whatever, or we get distracted. And so this would recalibrate so that our focus and our attention is on God, that our life is not about us. It's about the kingdom of God and the kingdom that's coming. And so families would recite these words and, and, and look at these images to, to, together to, to line them up when they, when they got distracted. You know, our children are surrounded today by so many things that send messages, so many symbols, so many logos. They carry very powerful messages. Um, some of them are subtle. And many of them are just pervasive. But those stories are shaping the worldview of our children. I don't know when the last time was that you actually sat down to watch a kid's cartoon. And you look at some of these kids' movies and these kids' cartoons and you think, man, the messaging here that's coming into these little minds is very adult, isn't it? It's just being zoomed in at them. When was the last time you took a critical look at the advertising that's aimed at children? Just, just do yourself a favor. How many kids today have got smartphones? How many kids have got smart watches? I guarantee you, many parents do not know the full picture of everything that your child is being exposed to. You have no real idea. 
And all of that stuff is shaping the views of little impressionable lives. And it's so important that you are sharing an alternative story in your homes. That you're beginning to take ownership and, and, and responsibility for the spiritual development of your children. That in your homes you're talking about things, the things of God. Parents, grandparents, we have to be the spiritual leaders of our families. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, why is it that some parents don't? Why, do, why don't some parents take spiritual responsibility in the home? And, and I think the reason is, is because kind of just beneath the surface, there's an unconscious thought in some parents' lives that I, I'm not really qualified to do this. I, I don't really have it all together spiritually. How can I actually invest into the lives of my children because I don't really know, you know, and, and, and you yourself are not taking the time to dive in so that you can actually lead spiritually. And, and we also know what children are really like, you know, don't we? I mean, we know that our children know what we're really like. And some parents are just not ready for that. I'm not ready to be spiritual in my home and have my life evaluated by this kid. The kid's going to say, you're telling me to do that and you're doing something else. And so the result is that nothing happens. Nothing happens. So there's no spiritual conversa conversation in the home. There's, there's no faith discussions. It's, it's just not happening. We kind of hope that they'll get something if they come to church. If they go to kids' church, you know. If they go to, we're trying to get a youth group going in our church. And, you know, if they go, whenever, you know, maybe they'll get something there. I'm not minimizing the importance of the church because I do believe that the church has a role. That there's something unexplainable that happens when families come and the churches, you, you know, to church and there's that uniting. When parents and the church come together, something powerful happens. And I think the church and family are supposed to work together. And whether that's two parents in a home or even if it's a single parent home, um, whether your children are young or whether they're grown up, there's something unexplainable that happens when the family and the church unite. God brings change. God brings change. Marriages grow stronger. Family relationships grow stronger. Bad stuff gets turned around, right? And good stuff begins to happen in people's lives. I know many families who would put their hands up and say, you know what, I've been part of a church and it's changed our life. We're experiencing God's blessing in our marriage, experiencing God's blessing in our family relationships. There is something unexplainable that happens when families get involved in, in, in the church. And I also think every parent wants to do a good job when it comes to raising their children. I think every parent starts out wanting to do a really good job. I don't know how it's been going in your family. But I can't say enough this morning as I round this series off about the importance of instilling the cosmic story of God into the lives of your children. This, this is desperately important. And if God is central to your family, if Christ is at the center, you watch what God will do in your family. There's a stronger likelihood that they're going to turn to God. It's, God's the best place to start doing a good job in a family. So parents, I want to just encourage you this morning. You've got to cultivate this in your home. You've got to it doesn't matter how old your kids are. I've got adult kids in my home, and I'm still doing my best to cultivate it. You've got to initiate conversations about faith. You've got to do it. You've got to talk about God. You've got to talk about what it means to be a Christian. You've got to talk about living out your faith. Those need to be regular conversations in your home. 
And you've got to demonstrate that. Don't be a hypocrite. You've got to demonstrate that. Maybe some of you this morning need to actually have a talk about what you can do as a family. You know, maybe there's some rhythms that you need to establish in your family. Maybe it's where you're coming and you're saying, well, we're going to take an evening or a meal. We're going to discuss a verse. We're going to talk about God. You know, you're going to have to do something in your families if you're not doing it. I want to encourage you to do that. Establish some sacred rhythms as a family. Because as parents, we will be accountable before God on this. We will. And if you're doing well and you're doing it, keep doing it. Keep going for it. Because there can only be better things that come in the life of your family, in the generations to come, the grandchildren you have not yet seen. Amen? Amen. Amen.